The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. There was a cartoon a number of years ago as they were concerned about all the things, violence that was happening in schools and There was a picture of some guards checking children as they would go in to make sure they didn't have any knives or blades or bombs or copies of the Ten Commandments. And that's a a joke, but in all seriousness, this is actually one of the Ten Commandments that, that our world and our society actually likes. Maybe the only one of the Ten Commandments that most everyone likes. At least we don't want people to murder us. You shall not murder. But why human life can't be murdered, we as the, the church need to explain that. That's the job of the church and parents. That's not the job of the school or society. And if they do explain it, it's not going to be to the depth that we're going to look at here today. But this is a, a world that's been called a, a culture of death in many ways. Think of the 20th century There's been an estimate of 125 to 175 million people killed, murdered by four names and by regimes under those four names, Hitler, Stalin, Lenin, and Mao. And so as we think of the the magnitude of that, this is something ultimately governments and guards cannot stop. This is something we all need to guard human life, and we all need to guard hearts as well, we're going to see in this passage. So our study today, I want us to consider what the sixth command is not about. What you shall not murder is about, what it is saying, and then what is, what is God saying to us about our guilt and our need If you learned this commandment in the King James Version, it was, you shall not kill. But the modern, better versions have, you shall not murder. There's actually, I think, seven other Hebrew words for killing. This is a specific word, and it does not forbid all killing. There's other words in their language for kill, but first of all, this is not about killing animals. And we have to say that because some people are confused even about this. This is a word never used of animal death in Scripture. And in verse 24 of this same chapter, in the context there, God actually commands animals to be killed for sacrifice. They would kill animals for food as well, quail and in the desert and the wilderness. But keep a finger here in Exodus 20. Go back to Genesis 9 because... God has already commented on this earlier in these two books that Moses wrote, Genesis and then Exodus, the first five books. Starting in verse 2 of Genesis 9, God has listed the beasts, the birds, the fish, the creepers, the crawlers. And Genesis 9, verse 3, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man by man his blood shall be shed for god made man here it is in his image 
God made man in his image. This is what makes human life set apart from all other forms of life. We are made in God's image. And we need to emphasize this. Only humanity is said to be made in the image of a sacred God. So when we talk about the sanctity of life, what makes life set apart is what that means. This is where we must start. If you were in the Sunday school class with Pastor Corey, he was talking about the image of God and how important that is for our world. He'll be continuing that next week. So important for us as we think and how we speak of others to start here. God gives animals to be killed for food, but to unjustly take human life is an assault against God's image. In chapter 4, Cain murdered Abel. And God said that shed blood cried out to him from the ground. Not the animal that, that Cain had, or Abel had offered, but Abel's blood was crying out to God from the ground. Shed blood cries out to justice. Lifeblood to the end of the Bible talks about murderers and how serious this is. And ultimately, God's justice is going to come down in the end. The souls of the martyrs who have been killed unjustly are crying out at the end, Oh Lord, how long? Crying out for justice. But not the animals. And this is where evolutionists and atheists and moral relativists will typically say that murder is wrong, but it's, it's in spite of their worldview. And when they try to explain that, it's just, well, of course it's wrong. I mean, it's written on their heart, but by their own worldview, they can't really adequately explain that. It's only God's word that explains that because of God's image, but also God-given conscience that cultures all around the world since the beginning of time have known this is wrong. Cain's countenance was fallen even as he was contemplating this in, in the beginning before any law was written or, or given. And absolute truth in God's word is what explains that. Because if it's, if it's all relative, you know, what's true for me is true for me and what's true for you is, is true for you. If there's, if there's no God's law that is absolute, who is to say no murder. Why? What is the objective absolute standard? If man isn't in God's image, if man is just an evolved animal, why not kill the animals? Or why not kill like animals, I should say. Some people ask, should we kill animals then? Because it's inconsistent to them. Here's what my former pastor, Phil Johnson, uh, he told a story about how he would see animal rights activists who would have the, the words of the King James Version, thou shalt not kill, often on their signs. And he, he came across some who were, had these signs saying, Jesus was a vegetarian. And they were passing out literature about the evils of killing animals. And he says he, he actually had his Bible with him. And so he said, look at Luke 24 here. This is Jesus going to the disciples and asking them, do you have any meat? And then they gave him some, and he ate it in front of them to, to show that he was resurrected. And Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves, remember, to, to feed people. And so he offered, uh, I'd be happy to take you to fish and chips down the street if you want right now. They, 
they declined. But you see, it's not, you shall not kill animals. It's don't murder humans. And that statement, you shall not murder in God's law, means never unlawfully take a human life. We're not to unlawfully take a human life with our own hands. But that begs the second point, and that is, this is also not about capital punishment by lawful or just authority of, of government. In fact, Genesis 9 calls in verse 6 for death. If you unlawfully take the life of a fellow image bearer, your life was to be forfeited, your lifeblood too. And this is before Israel. This is before the, the law of Moses and some of the unique things for Israel. This is also a New Testament principle of law and order in Romans 13. Government, law enforcement, and the justice system bears the sword, is what Romans 13 says, of deadly force and execution. But Right before Romans 13, Romans 12 ends warning against taking personal vengeance. Vengeance is not ours to take. We're to pursue peace as much as possible as far as it depends on us. Jesus taught not to take revenge into our own hands in the Sermon on the Mount. But he also said, the one who lives by the sword will die by the sword even in the Garden of Gethsemane there. So go back to Exodus 20, but know the commandments include the death penalty for some crimes. And to let cold-blooded murderers live does not value life made in God's image. That's where our world has it backwards. But this is also not about deadly force in self-defense or war. Armies and armed forces have to use deadly weapons to defend. And we remembered this past week, September 11th, didn't we? And the the war that was declared on our country, in essence, through terrorists. It would not have been murder for F-16s to shoot down a plane that is trying to take out the, the Pentagon. It was not murder for hostages to storm the cockpit and do whatever was necessary to, to stop the hijackers from killing more lives. And in Exodus 17, just three chapters earlier, Amalek was what some scholars call the first terrorist group in Scripture. And Deuteronomy explains when they attacked Israel, they attacked from behind. They were killing women and children, and God authorized war on Amalek and said they were to be wiped out. Just war, by theologians, has been defined as a just cause, and it's to be a last resort. There should be restraint, and this is not what we go to first. It's to defend life, including civilian life. But even then, Christians should not hate their enemies. They should pray for their enemies. We should pray that they would surrender, pray that they would be saved. Exodus 20, verse 13 says, and it's speaking to an individual person, singular pronoun, you shall not murder. That's a verb never used in the Old Testament for warfare or for Self-defense. In fact, look just across the page, chapter 22, verse 2 of Exodus. 
Chapter 22, verse 2, if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies. So there's a, a burglar, it's dark, you can't see him, he's coming after you and, you, and you fight back and you strike him down and then he succumbs to injuries. There shall be no blood guilt for him. A thief in the night could lose his life as a homeowner is defending himself and his family. But then if it was in daylight and there were witnesses, there were other laws that it goes on to talk about. But when possible, life should be preserved, including your own and including others endangering your life and others who you are to care for. Nehemiah 4.14 commands, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, fight for your families. It's a time to do that. Even as Ecclesiastes 3 says, there's a time for war, there's a time for peace. That's some of what the sixth commandment is not saying, but what does you shall not murder mean? What is it about? What is it saying? First thing is no murder or manslaughter of any kind. No murder or manslaughter of any kind. Let's even go back one slide there. But just look a few verses later, chapter 21, verse 12, where it says, whoever, so this is Exodus 21, verse 12, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, You shall take him from my altar that he may die. So a cold-blooded, willful, premeditated murder. They couldn't throw themselves on the mercy of the court for that. But there were times, and this verb actually refers to not just premeditated or even a, a particular degree of homicide like our law would define it today. In Numbers 35, the this same word, you shall not murder, is translated murder or manslaughter or, or manslayer. And someone who could claim that he didn't mean to slay a man could flee to cities of refuge to have a safe place for trial. And there was no one witness who could condemn someone to death. The, the suspect. There had to be two or three corroborating witnesses to establish guilt. And if a death blow, it says there, came by a, by, by a, a wooden or metal or iron tool or, or rock, they could get the death penalty for that. And if they fought with something in their hand that they knew could kill, it was prosecuted as murder. But here's what Numbers 35.20 goes on to say. If he pushed him out of hatred or hurled something at him or in enmity. So if he's hating that person or if he has enmity and he struck him down even with his hand so that he died, then he who struck the blow shall be put to death. He is a murderer. But verse 22 of that chapter says he could live in refuge if he pushed him suddenly without enmity or hurled anything on him without lying in wait if there wasn't hate and he this wasn't premeditated or, or something fell on him and he didn't see it dropped on him so that he died though he was not his enemy and did not seek his harm 
This was the kind of person that could be protected, even though there was killing that had taken place. There was provision for that motive matters in God's law. But it's important to know the, the verb, you shall not murder, includes manslaughter. And there were some cases that allowed asylum, and they could live in that different place until the time that the high priest died. But violent blows that came from a heart of hate or enmity, even just with your fist, that could make you a murderer in Numbers 35. And so even in the law, it, it, it wasn't just the physical action that made it murder. It was wishing him hate. It was wishing him harm. And then if you actually acted that out, there was greater penalty and prosecution based on motive. And so here in, in our church, what we teach statement says, and let's, let's read this out loud together. We teach every person as created in God's image must be afforded compassion, love, kindness, respect, and dignity. And we teach that abuse, hate, or harassment of individuals is to be repudiated as contrary to Scripture. We teach the dignity and sanctity of all human life, including the preborn, the aged, the physically or mentally challenged, and every other stage or condition from conception through natural death. Genesis 9-6 is one of those. Also, Psalm 119 talks about all of our days are ordained. They're in a, a book. They're written before there's one of them. From the time that we are in our mother's womb and being formed, God is intimately involved in caring for us as life. But that leads us to a, a second implication and meaning. This is also saying that we need to preserve unborn Life. We need to preserve vulnerable life. We need to preserve our own lives. Terms like abortion and suicide and euthanasia aren't used in Scripture, but this is exactly what it's talking about. When chapter 21, look at it, verse 22, it's talking about unborn life. Chapter 21, verse 22 of Exodus, when men strive together and hit a pregnant Woman, so that her children or her child comes out, but there is no harm. In other words, they're, they're born premature, but they're not injured or permanently harmed. The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. So there were still consequences, even if the baby was okay. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. So mom is alive, but her baby isn't born alive. Even involuntary abortion was treated as a crime. And we're going to look at the whole subject of abortion later in God's law and in Scripture when we get to that section in chapter 21 in a few weeks. But unborn life is part of God's law of life for life. The Bible also warns against the murder of other vulnerable ones. God especially speaks of how the, when the poor and the needy, the orphan, the, the widow, the, the foreigner, when their lives are taken, how God takes up their cause and brings vengeance on those who would especially take their lives, although all life 
is precious to God. Every ethnicity, every disability, every elderly person losing faculties bears God's image. And he has a special care for those who it's hard for them to care for themselves. God's word says in Ecclesiastes 8.8, No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of his death. So to take God's place by taking your own life is murder. And it's no better if it is physician-assisted. Suicide is selfish and hellish. It's a dark place to never go. But in Christ, there is always hope. Christ is our hope in life and death. We need to be the people of hope. We need to be the people of life. Be the people that would be used to preserve life. Sometimes medically, there's not hope to keep yourself or a loved one alive without artificial respiration. There are some pregnancies that need to bring a baby out before it can survive, for the mom to survive. But there are ways for natural causes to run their course and not violate God's law, even in some of those most difficult decisions and sensitive situations. There's a difference between ending treatment that cannot cure versus ending life by an intervention, by an action that takes that life. Machines to delay natural death are not in Scripture, but we're not to use means to cause unnatural death, intentional overdoses, injections that kill, internal abortion. Those are grave sins. We need to preserve life and we need to protect life from carelessness or negligence. And I get this wording from the ESV note in in the margin, if, if you have an ESV Bible, there's a footnote on verse 13 in, in the margin or the bottom of the page that says this. The Hebrew word also covers causing human death through carelessness or negligence. So look at chapter 21, verse 28. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and the owner also shall be put to death. The same penalty as, as murder for gross negligence, ignoring warning. You can think of drunk drivers today. You can also think of our own, our own property, our own animals as well. But it's interesting, there's, there were laws made for even your house. Like if you had a second story on the house, they, there, there needed to be fencing. You read about parapets, wonder what that is. There needed to be fencing on a second story where people were walking around to protect them from falling. Because if that person fell and died, there was blood guilt on the one who had not protected his property. Maybe in our day you think more about fencing for pools to, to keep children safe or fencing to keep your animals from getting out and causing harm. 
But don't just think of prohibiting accidental death due to carelessness. Think of protecting life too. I know of a couple here that protected the life of an embryo by adopting it and by raising it. I I know of people here working in crisis pregnancy, pro-life centers and, and ministries that are rescuing babies from being carelessly Discarded. There's many people who protect and serve in our community. There's nurses here, and there's, there's wonderful people who serve from the neonatal intensive care unit all the way to hospice in our church, and that is a, a wonderful and godly thing that flows out of this. Other special care for all of life and, and special needs. Well, it's also protect life by living carefully, by driving carefully, by being careful with our own health. That's maybe one we don't always think about. The New Testament talks about the value of bodily exercise and medical care. 1 Corinthians six nineteen: your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. We read from the Heidelberg Catechism earlier. This is part of what it says on the Sixth Commandment that includes this. I am not to harm or recklessly endanger, including myself. And I'm to protect neighbors from harm as much as I can. I am to love my neighbor as myself. And remember, the second half of the Ten Commandments really is summed up in that way. We're to love the Lord our God. Those are the first few commandments. But then the second half is about loving your neighbor as yourself. And so we need to go deeper with this. And this actually, God is saying, and some of you are feeling it already, that this has implications to us about our guilt and our need. Listen to Leviticus 19. 16, because some of you may be thinking of New Testament passages, but listen to the Old Testament law itself. Leviticus 19, 16. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Do not seek revenge. Someone does something to you and you want to do something back. Do not bear a grudge. It's possible someone here even has a grudge of someone else in this room. We're not to do that, but love your neighbor as yourself. The New American Standard says this right before that you shall not go about as a slanderer among the people and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. This is in the context of what it means to act against the life of their neighbor. We're not to slander about their life. You shall not hate in your heart, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. God's law linked acting against someone's life with hate in the heart. And the remedy was love your neighbor. Love your neighbor is the is the the remedy of all this. And so don't don't relax. Maybe some of you as we started this sermon you're thinking, "Oh good, this is this is finally one of the 10 commandments." that I'm not guilty of. I'm sorry, friend. Every single one of us, as we're going to go through this, you're going to see how this speaks to all of us. Even in Numbers and Deuteronomy also, it talks about hate as key to murder as biblically defined. It's not enough to not beat him to death with a club. It says you must not bear a grudge. 
We just can't get over what they did or said. Murder is not just outward harm. It is inward hate. It's not just manslaughter. It's also malicious slander, too. You can recklessly endanger reputations by gossip, by talking about sins of others. Most here may not ever shoot someone to death with a gun, even those in law enforcement. But there are people who shoot with their lips. There's people who wound and even war against others with words. A war of words can happen in our homes. Many of us are reading a book by Paul Tripp with that title, War of Words. We can kill relationships. God's word says, never seek revenge. Don't retaliate. Don't revile in return. Stop killing each other with bitter thoughts. You know what the reality is? Bitterness is actually killing you on the inside. It's doing more damage to you than what you're thinking about that other person. I said the last time, don't dishonor even other parents and how you speak of them. Speak to them in love. When you see things that need to be addressed in someone else, speak. you can speak to the responsible person in love or just speak to God in prayer as to whether that's just an offense to cover. But if you're upset at what other children of God did or said, don't be a talebearer and, and don't share, I, I just have a concern for prayer, and then you share something under that guise. That's, that's not godly. Snide remarks can be like a sniper's Markmanship with precision. You can assassinate someone else's character. God is saying, stop thinking evil of others. Stop speaking against your neighbor and especially your brother and sister. It is sinful to talk about, talk bad about people behind their back. There's a reason we call that back stabbing. It's like a metaphorical murder. I used to play a game growing up called Clue, where you had to try to figure out who's done it. You know, was it Lady Red in the kitchen with a a knife? Well, sometimes there can be a murder she wrote, and it's sister so-and-so in the coffee shop, and the weapon was her words. Or brother so-and-so. There can be times where we might not ever actually wish someone harm or even fantasize about doing them harm. You may not cut someone's throat. You may not thrust a dagger into their chest, but Proverbs 12, 18 warns against cutting remarks or, or rash words like, like sword thrusts. Psalm 64 verse three says that some people aim bitterness like arrows and their bitter speech James 3 says the the tongue is full of deadly poison. There's a lot of deadliness just on our tongue that we need to guard against. And James says in that same chapter, if there's bitterness or selfishness, there are disordered desires. And we come to that place where you want something, but you don't get it. And he says, so you murder. 
That's what's happening in our hearts. That's the source of conflict and quarrels, James diagnoses. It's we're not getting what we want, and, and that's the seed of, even if the deed never physically comes out, that's what's going on in the heart. And so, turn to 1 John 3. And I think the New Testament is going to make what Leviticus 19 said even more clear and convicting. You ever heard looks can kill? Well, that's included in this too, but maybe you were feeling pretty good about yourself 20 minutes ago. Now you're feeling pretty bad about yourself. Don't worry, it's going to get worse. But then it will get better if you see what Scripture is saying here. But listen to Romans 13, 8. He who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then he quotes from Exodus 20, including you shall not murder. And he lists some other commands. And if there is any other command, all of them are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul understood you shall not murder was summed up in love your neighbor. And that means don't Harm. Don't do anything intentionally to even harm your neighbor. You can harm by homicide, but you can harm by hate. And you can do things that you might say, well, I don't really hate them, but you're harming them. That's wrong too. Look at 1 John 3, verse 15. Everyone who hates is his brother is a, what? Murderer. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And we know, you know, that no murderer has eternal life dwelling in him. So that's comprehensive guilt for for all of us. And this is condemning to us for all of our, our hateful thoughts, words, and deeds. If we've ever hated, eternal life is not in us. This is deadly serious to God, but there is hope for us. There is hope for us because Paul, who wrote Romans 13, was once one who was breathing out murderous threats against the Christians, and he was acting out on those murderous threats. And John, who wrote 1 John, originally hated Samaritans and actually wanted uh, a genocide on the Samaritan village that fire would come down from heaven because they had rejected the message. That's from Luke 9, but that's, this is the John who is writing that, who who did not, and, and Paul, Saul of Tarsus, originally did not have eternal life in them, but God. But God can save, and God can change murderers or haters like them who recognize their guilt, and who recognize their need, and who look beyond the law to the Lord of life for grace. So let's look to Jesus too in, in Matthew 5. If you would turn to Matthew 5, we could look at Matthew 15 where Jesus said murder comes out of the heart. We all have the seeds of the, of the deed inside. We, we can have those times where we wish so-and-so wasn't there. We say, I don't actually want them to die. I just wish they weren't here or in my way. That's also under what Scripture is forbidding here. But... So you could talk to a lot of people and even a lot of churchgoers who would say, you know what, I'm a pretty good person most of the time. I mean, it's not like I ever, what? 
It's not like I ever murdered anyone. I haven't killed anyone. So I'm a pretty good person. We think that makes us a good person because we haven't literally taken someone's life. And, and the New Testament Jews, the very religious ones who had Leviticus and all of that, they had a limited interpretation of what God was forbidding from their rabbis. But here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That second part wasn't in the Ten Commandments, but there's these statements. If you murder, there's judgment. And they're thinking of the physical act of murder. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. This is why I'm saying it gets worse before it gets better. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus says it's not just the act of murder. It's the anger behind murder. It's the abusive words we can use. And Jesus expands it beyond the earthly judgment to eternal judgment. He's going deeper. He's actually putting us in in deeper trouble. It's not just about the criminal system. It's the, the judge of all the earth sees that and must deal with that. And when he says insults, that, that, that word has the idea of an, an empty head to call someone blockhead, bonehead, numbskull, knucklehead. I mean, just, just think of anything where it's along those lines or to say fool, which is the Greek root word we get moron from. Say you moron, you idiot. Or just think of whatever you say when cars cut you off on the freeway. And that's probably what this word means. Some of you maybe were guilty of this on your way to church. I don't know. No one told me that, but it's, I know all of us have been guilty of verse 22 in times past. That idiot, that moron, whatever we say in our mind or out loud. And in the New American Standard, verse 22 ends with this. Whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. By that word from Jesus, I've been a serial killer with my words, just to clarify that for the tape. I've been a serial killer spiritually with my words. You are a mass murderer at heart. So is everyone else. God is saying we are all guilty. We are all hell deserving in our sinful speech or sinful anger. We all need a savior. And so did Moses who wrote this. Moses, who wrote Exodus 20 back in chapter 2, he came up and he killed an Egyptian who was beating another Israelite. He, he beat him to death and he had to flee justice. Moses was going to get sinfully angry at Israel later. He, he already has, but he, in another time in his fury, is just going to take his staff and, and beats the rock. And it was such a serious sin in his anger that God didn't let him go into the promised land. He is going to want to take his own life. He's going to beg for God in a moment of weakness to take his own life. Moses fell short of what he wrote here. But God, he's going to find out later in the book of Exodus, but God is merciful and gracious. He's compassionate. He is slow to anger. Isn't that good news? And the way he shows his grace is ultimately in his son, And his son, Jesus, who suffered abuse verbally and physically in every way. 
And he's there suffering on the cross, coming to this earth to suffer in that way, to rescue the abused and the abuser, if they will repent and, and, and come to him. He, he's insulted. He's called worse than a fool. And he does all that to save and display to us how to not revile in return. Even false things that people say. He was killed by a cunning, cold-blooded plot and premeditated plan. But Jesus comes and he dies for the sin of his enemies. That's what he did. He offered no self-defense. He said he could have called down 12 legions of angels. That's, that's armies of angel soldiers to war that he could have called down, but he didn't. So I love what Kevin DeYoung says. He says, when we're fuming, when we're scheming, when we're steaming mad, when we're drinking our bubbling, exploding cup of wrath, we need to look to the garden of Gethsemane and find Jesus there with another cup. It's not the cup of our wrath. It's the cup of God's wrath for sinners like us, his perfect, righteous anger directed towards people like us who have often, so often displayed unrighteous, unholy hatred and anger and wrath we deserve to drink that cup but jesus took it for us jesus took it upon himself he drank it to the dregs he's the only one who never committed murder in any degree in his heart and he was murdered for heart murderers like us we have all poured out that cup of wrath on another. We've, we've scalded them with our words. We've hurt them. We've poured out our anger on them. But Jesus, only he takes that cup of God's wrath and takes it all upon himself and takes it all the way in. He took that bitter cup reserved for me. Jesus, thank you. Every bitter thought, every evil deed he suffered for on the cross. And he literally died on the cross in the place of a murderer. Remember, Barabbas was supposed to be killed on that cross. And he caused murder, the Gospels tell us. Barabbas was guilty of murder. And he had two other guys with him. In fact, Acts 3.14, here's how Peter tells the Jewish leaders this. A murderer was granted to you and you killed the author of life. Whom God raised from the dead. You actually had a murderer in this criminal exchange program given to you. And you actually killed the author of life. But you know what? God raised him from the dead. And, and Peter is telling them, even though you, you did that, there's grace for you. Even though murdering the, the, the author of life himself, there is life for you. If you'll recognize that and repent of that. And, and one of those co-conspirators, one of the partners in crime of Barabbas, who's on the cross on the left or the right-hand side, he begs Jesus for mercy. And Jesus promises him that day that he'll be with him in paradise. Even people who have been part of a murderous gang like this guy can be saved. And this was the worst murder ever. The best and greatest being ever. To walk this planet who's marred beyond recognition. But Isaiah 53 says, for, for, even for killers who strike down enemies, Jesus was struck down. He was afflicted by God. He was pierced through for our transgressions, even our piercing, backstabbing words and actions. Even for abortionists who crush little lives, it says Jesus was crushed for their iniquities. If they will repent, 
For those who have been deeply wounded by abusers, it's by his wounds that you can be healed. As scripture, scripture says, even men with oppressive words, it says of Jesus, he was oppressed. But he did not open his mouth. He did not revile in return. There was no violence found in him. For sins of murder and manslaughter and slander, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter for us. And it was my sin upon his shoulders. The song says, it's, I'm ashamed to hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that, that held him there. There's a sense in which our sin is actually what's putting the author of life on the cross. And whether anger or abortions that some here have had, you need to know that God can and does forgive any and all sin. For those who repent, there is grace greater than all our sin. Think of David murdering Uriah for his wife. Think of Saul of Tarsus being part of a a lynch mob against Stephen, stoning him to death, God can save and change like he did them if you ask Jesus to as your Lord. If you repent, Jesus says in Matthew 5, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. He first fills full the law and shows God's demand is, is even greater than they thought, but then he also fulfills that law for us who could never keep it. In thought, word, and deed, he obeyed from the heart to transform hearts, to transform thoughts, to transform words, to transform deeds. And I pray he does that in our midst. The one who endured sinful anger on the cross is the one who can cure sinful anger. If you'll think of him on the cross as he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. It was while we were still sinners. It was, it was while we were enemies, Romans 5 says. Christ died for sinners. It's through his death that reconciliation comes. And he gives grace to repent and to stop killing others inwardly or verbally and to also heal hate and hurts. Look at Matthew five twenty three. This is part of it. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come. Come to worship. This can happen even before the next worship service. If, if you're convicted of that, go privately, humbly. Someone say, I, I think I've, I've hurt you and offended you, and I, I want you to know, we can talk about that more, but I, I want you to know, I, I, please forgive me for that. I don't want to keep doing that. I'll strive to not do it again. Help me to know how to not do that. Let's hold each other accountable in that. If someone keeps on hurting you as an enemy, what if this person actually is your enemy? Verse 44 of Matthew 5, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Sometimes we think of people who are enemies who are not, but whoever our enemies actually are, love them, pray for them. And let me end with Ephesians 4, 31. Let all bitterness... 
and wrath and anger. In fact, let's, let me start over. Let's read it out loud together. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. About a month ago, I was at the memorial service for Grace Contreras. Uh, this would be Faith and Nathan's sister-in-law, uncle of Uncle David. Her grieving husband was speaking as a part of this service. This would be the uncle of the Alterton kids. And he shared a lot of things just about trusting God's goodness But then at the very end of what he shared, he said, I want to make sure that I also say this, that we pray for Israel Campos, the drunk driver who drove the car that killed his wife and nearly killed his two daughters. He says, we need to pray for him too because he needs Jesus just like every one of us. And that was an incredible moment and it shows the power of grace and so if someone can have that heart God can work in our hearts to give us a heart even towards people who have done terrible things to to long for them to know the love of God and the gospel and to be saved so I want to give us a moment to pray I'm going to pray, but I also want to encourage you to pray that God would be at work in your heart. If you would bow with me. Our great God, we do pray for this young man who made a terrible choice that that took the life, whether we call that murder or manslaughter, whatever the degree is. We know, Lord, that there are people who have done and experienced painful things in this room. We want to recognize that, but we also want to recognize that there is grace greater than all sin. And we want to ask that that grace would be at work in our hearts, that you would reconcile, restore, you would help us not to revile or be tempted, and and to be honest, Lord, in our own families, we may be especially tempted in this. Lord, help us to build patterns that would glorify Christ in the way we speak of others and to each other in our family and in this church family and beyond to be a witness of Christ. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen.